0: The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi, folks. This is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast, all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out Anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out Anchor.fm.
1: Come with me.
0: You're listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McRoy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to take a look back at Tavistock's war against the public. Uh, If Many of you may not be familiar with the Tavistock Institute or the beginnings of the Tavistock Institute and what they've become in this world. uh, Basically, this is one of the major places or Organizations, I should say it 's not just a place; its reach goes far beyond what the actual physical location uh, actually encompasses but uh, what this organization has become has it's become a primary social engineering hub of the world uh, so that being the case we 're going to get into uh, a little bit of the origins and uh, some of the developments that happened within the Tavistock Institute and uh, how many of these things came about. Uh, to give people uh, a sort of education as to why the world's in the shape that it is and how this whole thing is organized and orchestrated from various central groups and Tavistock being at the heart of this. So we're going to get into that tonight, and this will kind of be a continuation of the uh, uh, the show we did on The Quiet War Against Humanity. Uh, so th- this will kind of lay the groundwork for people and uh, connect some of the dots Uh, between that previous episode. If you haven't listened to that one, give it a a, a listen. Uh, That one we discussed the document, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. And we can see how the Quiet War Machine has stood against the public at large by this small group of elites that kind of run things in this world. And tonight we're going to expose a little bit of uh, the foundations of how Tavistock got its grubby little fingers into everything And uh, has been able to manipulate the masses in some concerning ways. So we'll get right into it here. And tonight (coughs) we'll be primarily reading from uh, the Campaigner magazine, the April 1974 edition. Uh, So this is an older, older source document here. And we're going to read an article within it called Low-Intensity Operations, The Reesian Theory of War by M. Minicino. Okay, And this will discuss one of the major founders and major players of Tavistock, Mr. John Rawlings Reese. If you're not familiar with that name, look it up. Uh, it, this, this guy is implicit in much of the social engineering that's gone on in the world. And he was a psychologist who really used the things and methods that he learned to manipulate the masses. And, and you know, they make no um, no bones about the fact that he used it for the, the purpose of manipulation, right? And these are the people that uh, set up this, this Tavistock Institute and uh, all the different uh, working groups from Tavistock that go off of it. And we'll see. I mean, the, the connections will be drawn here as we read through the article. Uh, and I will give... You know some of my, uh, you know my own opinions on things as we go through here. (coughs) Excuse me. Let's get into it. Introduction with the discovery and extensive deprogramming of Christopher White during the first week of this year. Gonna pause. That'll be 1974, folks. The labor committees picked up the threads of a conspiracy against the working class led by the Rockefeller faction of international capital and using the techniques developed by Dr. John Rawlings-Reese of the Tavistock Clinic in Britain. Since that time, the labor committees internationally have been primarily engaged in exposing the capabilities and extent of this network and in building the working class forces necessary for its systematic destruction. To refuse to completely neutralize this network, which is in this period the conspiratorial vanguard of capitalist fighting forces, is to ensure the final defeat of the working class. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Now, since the writing of this article, way back in 1974... Um, we could just judge by uh, the state of affairs today. Uh, that's not what has been going on. That <laughs> they weren't trying to take apart uh, this whole conspiratorial uh, organization here, right? They weren't trying to do that either. That or maybe there were some good people. I'm sure there probably were that were trying to do so. But uh, you know, the the power structure has firmly ingratiated itself within. Uh, you know, various roles uh, throughout government and quasi-government organizations and have allowed it to continue. And that's exactly what's going on today, all right? They're working feverishly to destroy the middle class, see? And that's primarily one of the the main goals of this whole operation that's been going on, the destruction of the middle class, Uh, because the middle class is a threat to the power balance for these people in positions of control, See, what they're aiming for is a type of neo-feudalism. So that being the case, a middle class kind of uh, puts a buffer zone there uh, between the ruling class and the ruled class, and they can't have that. So, you know, it's, it's much easier to control just a, um, a two-bit system rather than a three-bit system, so to say. So that being the case, that's why they want to eliminate this middle class. But let, let's continue on here. This network is designed fundamentally to maintain class rule to whatever level of viciousness viciousness demanded by capitalist economic necessity by means of mass persuasive techniques capable of the irreversible destruction of the creativity of the working class and the reshaping of workers' behavior into the appropriate machine-like patterns without the development of new ideological forms such as fascism. Since the 1930s, John Reese and the small circle of psychiatrists around him with Rockefeller money had consciously developed that capability and by 1946 had sold literally that capability and the growing network to implement it to the Rockefeller faction of American capital. Gonna pause there. Always these same couple big names come up, don't they? Rockefeller. You know, all the same ones. Rothschild, Rockefeller. The, the big money. Everybody knows where the big money is. Um, and these people always have uh, their hands in a lot of this stuff. That's where the financing comes from, and that's where, you know, ultimately the, the planning goes on, is through uh, groups that kind of hover around these big money interests. Uh, so that being the case we see here, this John Rawlings Reese, <coughs> in the 1930s, established himself uh, within the psychiatric field and uh, surrounded himself with various people, Uh, to get this whole thing rolling, right, so to say. But let's read on, and we'll see what kind of influence and, uh, you know, the the methodologies that have come about since this, that this whole thing has uh, kind of taken on. So, the Tavistock Network and the Resean Method, that the class war should be waged with weapons, it says in quotation marks, that affect morale more than they take life. Going to pause there. Silent weapons, folks. Remember what we discussed in the Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars document back in the episode on the Quiet War? Let's read on. So, weapons that affect morale more than they take life. Has become, in the post-war period, the primary weapons system of the Rockefeller forces, including their own covert arm, the Central Intelligence Agency. With the recognition of the beginning of a capitalist breakdown cycle, the Rockefeller CIA faction has mobilized the Rees Network, along with all its other forces, to implement rates of accumulation, at least on the order of those implemented by Nazi finance minister Hallmar Schrocht globally under direct military rule. That is, the capitalist economy necessity. There will be no ideological cover like Hitlerism to soften the horrors of direct military takeover in the advanced capitalist sector, for it is believed that if the psychological onslaught that Reese has prescribed is successful, then none will be necessary. It is, in part, for this reason, that the Rockefeller CIA... And the Reese Network have spent over thirty years completely reshaping capitalist armies to make them capable of such naked rule, knowing that it is finally, quote, the armed body of men, end quote, upon which class rule depends, and realizing that someday such armies would have to exercise their true function openly. And I'm gonna pause right there, folks, so we could see here how uh, we've been set up uh, to be manipulated okay uh, it's it's a psychological warfare operation going on right from this ruling class against the rest of us against the public uh, that's what they're doing because they don't want uh, like a armed insurrection or something like that going on. They don't want to have to have those kind of challenges they don't want to have to uh, operate in a militaristic type fashion so they were firmly convinced, from the works of Reese and others and some of his predecessors that it's possible to steer public opinion and, and steer public consciousness in a way to which they outright just accept the way things are. And then they don't have to come to blows with something like this, right? They don't have to use militaristic force to uh, to push this neo-feudalistic system that they want in place. People will just right readily accept it. And, and that's the whole point of this. That's what they're doing. They were conditioning people to accept this type of a paradigm. Let's read on. The Rockefeller forces, because they have made the Riesian method and network the major portion of their arsenal, must now be fully committed to that method and network if they are to su- survive in much the same way a section of German capital had to move, with the unpleasant contingency of Hitlerism, if it was to obtain necessary economic measures proposed by the former Weimar banker, Schacht. Unlike Hitlerism, Recyan methods rely completely and consciously on the destruction of the mental life of world society and a forced march into universal sadism. And from this, there can be no further contingency. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Let me repeat that. Recyan methods rely completely and consciously on the destruction of the mental life of world society and a forced march into universal sadism what's going on in the world today folks what are we seeing we've been largely seeing the destruction the categoric destruction of the human mind and the depravity of society into this universal sadism haven't we We, we've been seeing this this is a, a a social engineering operation going on this did not come about by accident it's not coincidence these people have been manipulating things using various methods that the, the, the whole of society, or the, the, the vast majority of society, I should say, are unaware of. Okay, They use methods that the vast majority of society do not understand and are unaware of. And we'll get a, a little bit more into that here. But uh, you could also see how it makes claims back to Germany, World War II Germany, right? It's the same controlling factions Running things, okay. It's where the Germans failed. Well, these guys learned the lessons where the Germans failed, and are trying to do things slightly differently. So uh, they've they've learned from the mistakes, and they've they've adjusted on the fly, and and been able to pull off these certain things. Uh, so we could see just by our observations today. Just how far along in this social engineering campaign it's it's come, and we'll we'll get a little bit more into that later as to uh, what the specific belief system of uh, John Rawlings Reese and some of these other uh, power brokers that do the social engineering on a grand scale. We'll we'll see what their belief systems are and and how they've engineered certain things into society here. Let, let's let's read on. <clears throat> Our purpose here is to expose the development of the Reesian method, the formation of the Tavistock Network, and its takeover of the British Armed Forces. The complete deployment of the Tavistock Network, and the story of the full utilization of it by the Rockefeller forces and their CIA, is demonstrated elsewhere. Since the war, the British military, under the direction of the Tavistock Network and the CIA, have been in the forefront of refining the Reesian theory of war, for years known as... Quote unquote counter insurgency, and are now using these refinements to bring fascist military rule to England. As we shall show, under Rees, counterinsurgency became not a fight against insurgents, but a testing ground for new forms of institutionalized psychological control at the behest of the Rockefellers. The most advanced of these forms, now known by the more appropriate, more positive title, low-intensity operations, is now being brought home to Western Europe and North America. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. And remember, this was written in 1974. 1974. These people play the long game. We see that. This stuff was well underway in the 1970s. Probably, you know, at least 40 years underway within the 1970s. Uh, bare minimum, and actually this this whole social engineering campaign has been going on for much longer than that. But it's just this specific uh, power group, this this specific network came into being in the 1930s and, and uh, was able to establish itself and set itself up uh, to become one of the main bastions of social engineering of the whole world in that time frame and moving forward through the decades. It's had many successes. And, uh, these good folks here at the Campaigner Magazine apparently were trying to expose this back in the 1970s. And guess what? A lot of this stuff, not commonly known by too many people. But it's out there. It's all public domain now. You could find it. It's just not many people took this stuff seriously back then. They thought it was all wacky, quote-unquote, conspiracy theory. Right? Much like people do today. But, uh... We're looking around, and we're seeing the real-world effects of this social engineering campaign going on today. Still, here we are in 2022, and this has absolutely gone on in the past several decades and is still going on today. And we'll, we'll see as we get a little further through the article here. Many of these same methodologies are still being used today and used very successfully. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll get more into some of the other aspects of this as we go along. But uh, let's pick up where we left off. The shaping of John Reese, <clears throat> The genesis of John Rawlings Reese's ideas and his motivation for building the Tavistock Network was, like Hitler's, not profound. It would be an injustice to even say that such ideas sprang from some perversion of the science of psychology, in spite of the fact that Reese would use the psychological profession to build his conspiracy. Rees's sociology never transcended the gutter variety peddled by the -the turn-of-the-century academic apologists for British imperialism, who had gained a short period of hegemony at universities like Cambridge, where Rees had studied. These men had sought to justify English colonialism with weird mixtures of scientific fact and inane 18th-century stereotype, claiming, in short, that it was... Quote unquote, genetically necessary that sturdy English stock rule over the congenitally helpless darker races such theories like eugenics and other so-called race sciences had dropped out of academic prominence by the 1930s but were kept alive somewhat artificially by the nazi theoreticians and the numerous ruling class sympathizers of the british fascist sir oswald mosley and i'm gonna pause right there folks eugenics It's an active eugenics program going on today. This is what it's about. This is what it's always been about. Race. Why do you think race is a hot topic issue today? When if you go back to the 1990s and uh, early 2000s, I had thought in my personal experience that this whole racist mentality was something that had largely been done away with uh, primarily in Western society here. It really wasn't an issue the way that they try to push it today. Now there's always these pockets of where you have some of this racist uh, uh, mentality going on, and there's always those types of people that have uh, that kind of ideology. But uh, largely, it wasn't really didn't really seem to be a hot topic issue like it's been made out to be within the past several years now. Uh, so once again, I mean, a lot of this draws back to these eugenics-based ideas. Okay. This is why they keep reviving the whole race card issue or the whole racist type issue. Racism. It's why institutional racism is always brought back up whenever they need to socially engineer the masses in a certain way. This is one of their go-to points that they stick with. Okay, it's, it's right in the playbook. Right here, it's what we're talking about. It all has to do with eugenics and it all has to do with the attitudes of these quote-unquote elites Okay, and we'll get there. Let's continue reading on so you can see a little more what I'm talking about. <clears throat> in 1945, in the fullest single statement of his worldview presented in his book, The Shaping of Psychiatry by War, Rees indicates that he had not dropped this pseudoscientific racialism to which he had been exposed. Rather, he had made it Fundamental. Society, states Reese in 1945, is composed of layers, starting at the bottom with a psychopathological tenth of the population, which is constitutionally inferior, with the rest of the layers differentiated functionally by increasing levels of talent and lack of neurosis. This bottom neurotic tenth is made up of what Reese calls simply dullards and includes, unfortunately, a large percentage of the colored population. Going to pause there, folks. This is what Reese believed. This is what the people that he associated with believed. This is largely what many of the people still in charge in this elitist power structure still to this day believe, and it's all based on eugenics ideas, okay? foundationally flawed eugenics ideas. But yet, these are the people who have power in this world. So the things they believe will affect us all. And this is why, still to this day, we have the whole racial issue going on. Because it's a eugenics push by these elitists. Understand? Let's let's continue to read on now. And this is a uh, quote from... Uh, Reese here underneath. It goes on after that last sentence. Reese quotes from Aldous Huxley's book, so let's read that. Aldous Huxley, in his book The Brave New World, was planning to produce a section of subnormal men who would do the dull jobs of the community. We really don't need to produce them, for there are too many already. So Let's continue on. Obviously, such beliefs had nothing to do with the psychiatric methods that Reese would study after his service as a medical officer in the First World War. Our problem is that Reese used his understanding of psychiatric methods to formulate and implement an action program based upon such beliefs. The task of psychiatry, if it is to be practical for Reese, is the, quote, proper allocation of skills, unquote. Psychiatrists, he suggests, are capable of determining the neurotic map of each national sector and, based on this study, can set up a filtering mechanism to select out the various neurotic types and place them in their appropriate skill. With such selection techniques, dullards, who are only frustrated because of their consistent failure, can be channeled into simple tasks and the happy fellowship of other dullards. Those who are capable of the highest intellectual functions will be allowed to do so unencumbered with inferior types, a truly happy mental life for society. It should be noted that even Reese's broad psychosocial theories were not terribly new. Since the pre-World War I period, capitalists, particularly the Americans, had understood that if more profit was to be had from the new modes of production of the 20th century, then progressive reforms, which capital could then afford, had to be used to upgrade the standard of living of the working class." However, it was quickly realized that the promise of such reforms could easily let loose revolutionary potential within the working class, and therefore such initiatives would have to be tightly controlled. The Rockefellers and the Fords particularly became masters at the controlled development of the new working class, mobilizing and funding a number of scientific initiatives for their purposes." This process was not unknown to many Marxist theorists of the period. The Italian communist Antonio Gramsci, reflecting on the ravages against the American worker caused by the methods of one of these Ford and Rockefeller funded scientists, the speed-up specialist Frederick Taylor, claimed that the very purpose of American society had become, quote, Developing in the worker to the highest degree automatic mechanical attitudes, breaking up the old psychophysical nexus of qualified professional work, which demands a certain active participation of intelligence, fantasy, and initiative on the part of the worker, and reducing productive operations exclusively to the mechanical, physical aspect. But these things, in reality, are not original nor novel. They represent simply the most recent phase of a long process which began with the industrialism itself. This phase is more intense than preceding phases, sorry, preceding phases, and manifests itself in more brutal forms. A forced selection will ineluctably take place. A part of the old working class will be pitilessly eliminated from the world of labor and perhaps from the world. End quote. Did you catch that last part? A part of the old working class will be pitilessly eliminated from the world of labor, and perhaps from the world. So, that uh, folks right there gives you a little bit of the uh, intent behind some of the things that have gone on here, uh, what this is about. And I'm uh, talking primarily about, uh, this is about the destruction of the middle class, right? Right? Well, it's, it's more than that. It's also a depopulation program, too, isn't it? It's always dual use with these eugenicists, and that's what they are, eugenicists. So, see, they're, they're thinking of people in terms of, uh, well, you're, you're just dumb. You're a dumb animal. We could use you to do physical labor, and that's your lot in life, and when you're no longer needed, you'll be disposed of properly. That's how they think of you. That's why they refer to you as, quote-unquote, human resources. Understand? That's what this is about. Uh, this this is the ideology that's taken hold uh, throughout many of these uh, social engineering organizations throughout the world. And the, the controllers thereof. Okay, These are the people that set policy. These are the policy makers in this world, folks. These are the people that make very real decisions on things that happen in this world. These are the ones that manipulate economies, manipulate people on a massive scale, convince people to do things which are absolutely unreasonable, but yet they do them. Look at the past two years, what's gone on. Look at what they've done, what they've convinced people to do, and without having a a violent uprising. This is what um, John Rawlings Reese was all about. Socially engineering the masses into capitulation for this without so much as a whimper. That's what's been going on, okay? They don't need to use militaristic force if they control your mind, if they attack your mind. And that's exactly what they've done, and that's what's been going on. And this is the full-blown rollout of what's called the Quiet War. World War III, folks, has been going on since 1954. 1954. We're in the heart of World War III, still. Here we are, almost 70 years later. It's been going on. Make no mistake about it. Understand. This truly is World War III, and we've been living through it all of our lives without even knowing about it. It's the nature of the beast. It's the quiet war. We don't know. That it's going on. But it has an indelible effect on us, doesn't it? And this is exactly why. They they don't want... They learned during World War II that it's really messy to have a militaristic operation like that to try to bring about these same things. And they get resistance. It gets messy and expensive and destroys valuable infrastructure. See, they don't want that. So they would much rather engineer our minds to accept and capitulate to these ideas and just willingly march along like sheep to the slaughter and that's what society's been doing make no mistake this is World War 3 folks we're living through it right now we've been for a long time we haven't realized it and uh, you know there's very few people out there sounding the alarm about this Um, you know I mean some people are speaking up and saying a lot of these things they don't make sense and they're speaking out about different aspects of it But this is the whole deal, folks. Like, this is how how they do things. They've been manipulating the consciousness of men for a long time now. And that's how they're getting things done. By attacking your mental state. And it's said here, right in the outset of of this, this, uh, this article here, that was the stated goal. That was Reese's stated goal, and they've adopted many of this guy's ideas and onboarded them for social engineering. But let's continue reading. It has been demonstrated elsewhere that the Rockefeller family took the lead in fostering the growth of such selection procedures, particularly in the so-called child guidance and industrial health movements. There must have been a fairly deep collaboration between Reese and the Rockefeller Foundation in this area by the 1930s. What Reese developed over and above the other scientific collaborators of Rockefeller was the logical organizational correlative of his bestialized psychological practice. If we, and this is him, I'm quoting him, quote, if we propose to come out into the open, he said to a group of U.S. Army psychiatrists in 1945 and to attack the social and national problems of our day, then we must have shock troops, and these cannot be provided by psychiatry-based wholly in institutions. We must have mobile teams of psychiatrists who are free to move around and make contacts with such a local situation in their particular area." Reese's logic is tortured but clear. For true mental health, there must be a complete transformation of society along the lines of rational selection. Unfortunately, many don't see reality this way, including most workers who believe that any method of selection is a mechanism by which the wicked capitalist aims to get more work out of the worker, and that argument dies hard. In the Riesian worldview, such naysayers, along with anyone who engages in strikes or subversive activity, are themselves neurotic, desperately in need of treatment, but unfortunately unable to see they are ill. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Do you hear that? Do you hear the implication here? If you don't buy lock, stock, and barrel, the official, the quote-unquote official narrative of things. You're mentally ill. They see you as mentally ill and that you need treatment. But the unfortunate thing is you don't realize you're mentally ill. But they'll give you treatment anyway, won't they? That is the that is the attitude of these people in control right now. That's been the attitude for a long time. If you object to the things that they're doing, they will... Label you as mentally ill, and and we'll see in later broadcasts that I do how this is an alarming trend in and of itself. The fact that they can label you as being mentally ill and then take away some of your you know basic human rights uh, and offer you quote unquote what they call treatment when it's not really treatment, right? It's it's all about uh, trying to uh, collectivize you in a sense, uh, make you listen to what it is they want make you fall in line with everybody else you capitulate to their demands that's what it's about but anyway let's i don't want to you know harbor too long on that we still got quite a bit of reading to go let's continue on here In such a world of unwitting neurotics, psychiatry, the only arbiter of sanity, can be exercised only by a cabal in every country, groups of psychiatrists linked to each other, prepared to muster all their weapons and influence for a move into the political and governmental field. Only a conspiracy of psychiatrists, as Reese meant when he spoke of his mission, could build a society where where it is possible for people of every social group to have treatment when they need it, even when they do not wish it, without the necessity to invoke the law. Going to pause there. Did you hear that? Let me read that statement for you again, because this is absolutely what they've been up to and what's coming for us. Right? Let me read that again. Reese meant when he spoke of his mission he could build a society where it is possible for people of every social group to have treatment when they need it, even when they do not wish it, without the necessity to invoke the law. Sound familiar? It's been going on in one way, shape, or form for a while now, and we're not just talking about psychological treatment, folks. Think about it. What have they done in the past two years? What's the big thing? You have to have a vaccine to get in here, don't you? You need this, this vaccine pass. You can't come in here unless you're wearing a mask and you take this vaccine, right? We can't serve you. Do you see what's going on? That's all part of your quote-unquote health, right? And that's all part of this as well. That's all part of the psychology involved with this. You need to have the treatment, whether you wish it or not. And if you don't want it, we'll try everything in our power to coerce you to get it. And even if you don't capitulate then, then we'll force you. We'll outright force you. What have they done? They've threatened people's jobs and livelihoods to do this thing, haven't they? And guess what? It hasn't really worked out as effectively for them as they would have liked, but a vast, vast, huge, massive number of people did capitulate to this, and that's the sad part, folks, because we're, we're seeing blowback for it now, and we're going to continue to see some really ill effects to this whole thing in upcoming years, and, uh, you know, that's that's part of the test. So the next phase would be forcing people to get psychological evaluations and things of that nature, right? And uh, we, we've seen some of this Uh, to a certain degree, haven't we? So, But let's continue on here, and I I find it very telling, some of the terminology that uh, the author of this article is using. The construction of that cabal became what Reese himself would call his lifelong mission. It should thus be clear that Reese's view of psychiatry is itself essentially uninvolved with actual psychiatric method of therapy. The Reesian worldview is, in fact, no different from that of the psychopathological bourgeois desperately in need of a magical handle with which to manipulate the terrifying forces of the outside world. Reese's not-so-fundamental discovery was, crudely put, that psychiatric methods could be reversed to the effect that techniques used to liberate the mind from the parasite of psychosis could be used to induce controllable forms of neurotic or psychotic behavior. And I'm going to pause there, and I'm going to repeat that for you folks. I'm going to repeat that. This is crucial. Understand this. Okay, let me read that again. Reese's not-so-fundamental discovery was, crudely put, that psychiatric methods could be reversed to the effect that techniques used to liberate the mind from the parasite of psychosis could be used to induce controllable forms of neurotic or psychotic behavior. They're talking here about inducing psychotic and neurotic behavior in people, folks. They're talking about induced mental illness induced mental illness look at our society today we have never had a time when we've had more mental illness than we do now and it's been done on purpose and there are other aspects of this that go uh, right along with that too and i mean i'm not talking just straight up uh, what people would consider like psychosis or neurosis or things of that nature that's a very broad term used here okay There's other things that have been engineered into our society. Conditions like autism, folks. I've written a book on autism and how it relates to the transhumanist philosophy and how it's been induced into society. And I'm currently working on a second book tackling these same objectives. So uh, we'll see, I mean, as we go further into uh, study on these things, what's been done. But here it is. This is an admission right here, of what's been going on in this world for at least the past seventy years, probably longer than that, likely a lot longer than that. But uh, they're talking here. Reese's ideology was to produce mental illness in people, so that he controllable forms of mental illness. Do you understand the implications of this? Do you understand what's been done to your mind, to your family? society with these methodologies these are dangerous people these social controllers these social engineers that work from places like tavistock and other of these policy think tank groups these are the ones manipulating people steering them in certain directions controlling society okay All the stuff you see going on in the world today, it's all been engineered that way. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's no such thing as accidents. All this nonsense going on with Russia right now, all contrived, all manipulated, all put together for a reason, all engineered for a reason, Uh, regardless of what you think uh, the truth is behind all of that. Uh, I, I accept that there's very real destruction and chaos and everything going on over there. Uh, but uh, you need to understand regardless of uh, whether you believe it's all just for show and it's all fake or if there's you know a lot of real things going on over there um, it's it's been engineered folks it's been crafted that way for a reason okay so regardless of what your stance is on that whole thing understand there's a reason it's been implemented the way that it has and it has to do with a lot of these same, methodologies and reasonings that that have been adopted from John Rawlings Reese and the Tavistock Center, right? So let's read on. The history of the Tavistock Network details Reese's overwhelming need to manipulate. Even before Reese had fully articulated conspiratorial theory, the evidence of his neurosis is rich. In the early 1930s, he flexed his growing powers in psychological manipulation to obtain his first coup, the directorship of the Tavistock Clinic. Hugh Crichton Miller, the founder of the Tavistock Clinic in 1921, and the doctor who taught the young Reese psychiatry had, by 1931, become too resistant to Reese's ideas about practical psychiatry. In retaliation, Reese started a rumor campaign throughout the younger doctors at the clinic about Crichton Miller's methods until the staff was calling Crichton Miller a butcher to his face. In 1932, the older doctor had a breakdown and was unanimously replaced as medical director by John Reese. Going to pause there, folks. This guy was an absolute nut job. These people in positions of power, these elitists running things today, they are psychopaths. Understand that. They don't think like a regular human being. They are psychopaths. They are sociopaths and psychopaths, and they only put people in different positions of power that have these same traits as themselves, and they view the rest of us as being the quote-unquote mentally ill here, right? We see that. We see what's been going on. Uh, They're narcissists. They're control freaks. They want to be gods of this place, and they do that by manipulating others, and they have um, they they gain great pleasure from manipulating and controlling people, and they see you as little more than a resource. Okay, they they don't have concerns or morality like you and I do. These people that are controlling things are the true psychopaths of this world. All right. When you understand that, then you begin to see what this is about, and this John Rawlings Reese guy, and this was some of the foundational things to his thinking. And he set himself and his buddies and all of these uh, elitist power brokers in this world into position to be able to socially manipulate society in a grand way. See? And we'll get to that. Let's, Let's read on here. To cement his hold over the clinic in preparation for the changes he would make, Reese introduced collectivism, demanding that publications by staff members had to be collectively approved, and at one point, that the physicians actually pool their salaries. This from a man who readily stated that his view of socialism had not changed appreciably since his service as the chief medical officer for the British Army anti-Bolshevik expedition to Baku after the First World War. And I'm going to pause there, folks. There's a huge number of points to be made in this last paragraph alone. Okay. Reese introduced the idea of collectivism where have we heard that before collectivism okay collectivism into the Tavistock clinic and he demanded that publications by staff members had to be collectively approved listen to that do you know what that is folks that's the birth of the almighty peer review method who came up with that this psychopath from Tavistock that's why you get nothing but flawed science out of all these big institutions. Right? All of these think tank groups. The almighty peer review. If something doesn't pass muster. Or peer review. Well it gets discredited. Doesn't it? That's because they want to control. Whole narratives. They want to control what the. Quote unquote accepted science is. And this guy. Introduced that idea. Peer review. That's what this is. Okay. So. So. Uh, we also see here that he introduced the idea of pooling everybody's salaries and redistributing them as needed. Socialism. Even though he had uh, opposed the Bolsheviks in World War One, with these same ideologies, well, it seems he readily adopted them, didn't he? Something snapped in this guy's brain somewhere along the way, right? And, uh, you know, it, it became apparent here what the the intent is. Uh, By this time. So let's read on and see what else came about from all this. By the second half of the 1930s, Reese had put such vicious parlor games on a rigorous basis. While we intend to explore Riesian psywar war theories in depth in the final section, it will be necessary to outline Reese's techniques here to prelude, prelude the discussion of his wartime activities. And I'm going to pause there. We're probably not going to get to the wartime activities aspect of this article uh, because it is rather lengthy, unless I do maybe a part two, which I might do. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to see some of the methods that have been used here and how Tavistock does things. Uh, many of these ideas adopted from Reese's ideology. Let's read on. As one of Reese's collaborators slyly put it, if J. R. Reese was not a giant in original contribution, he was certainly a man keenly and generously interested in applying the results of other people's work. Under Reese, the Tavistock Clinic pioneered work in Abri action theory using electroconvulsive shock and barbiturates. The clinic clinical evidence of from the deprogramming of Chris White indicated that the reversal of ab reaction the use of shock hypnosis and drugs to induce new perhaps Traumatic memories is the technique needed to perform a first-class Pavlovian brainwashing job. Reese's praise for abreactive techniques remained boundless, and he later referred to abreaction with shock as being as effective as "quote unquote" psychosurgery. And I'm gonna pause there, folks. Do you know what abreaction is? This is inducing fear and trauma into the human mind. It's a type of initiation ritual. Going back to the old ancient mystery school teachings and the occult teachings again, you see how all this tough stuff always ties together, right? And he's saying that this works as effectively as psychosurgery in inducing behaviors in people, right? So he's, he's suggesting that the use of terror and the fear motif to control people is one of the most effective ways to really, really change their behavior on a fundamental level. It's, it's how you brainwash people. <laughs> you get that? And uh, if you manage to pull this off on a massive scale, well, then there's a huge number of minds that could be effective, right? Anyway, let's read on. This would also suggest why Reese recruited the young Eric Trist to Tavistock and quickly catapulted him into the highest echelons of that institution. Trist, presently head of the Tavistock operation on the east coast of the U.S., was picked up by Reese in 1940 while the former was researching drug and hypnosis-induced ab at an English hospital as a Rockefeller Foundation medical fellow. And I'm going to pause there. Um, the time of this writing was 1974, so apparently this Eric Trist was still in charge over at Tavistock at that time. Uh, but uh, you see, there's Rockefeller right there funding the whole thing, right? Let's Let's read on. The other work that keenly and generously interested Reese was the then-new developments in group therapy. It is clear that Reese exploited the work of W.R. Bayon, whom Reese brought to Tavistock to personally supervise the group sessions that Reese made mandatory for all the staff for all its potential for manipulation. As a specialist in family welfare for the British government in the 1920s and 1930s, Reese had understood that the family was the most powerful psychoactive agent this side of electroshock. Indeed, in the so-called Rockefeller Memorandum of 1946 in which Reese offered the Tavistock Network to Rockefeller as his Psywar Brain Trust, Reese's sales pitch revolved around the claim that the network was able to determine quote, the relations of domestic and nursery culture to later political and economic behavior on a large scale, end quote. Bion's therapeutic groups provided the opportunity to tap the power of the family. And I'm going to pause there. Why are they always all about breaking up the family unit, folks? Well, here you go. Here's one of the reasons why. Not only is the family group the uh, foundational, uh, foundational start point of human culture right it's it's the whole tribalistic type idea it's foundational to civilization the family group the core family this 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 uh was something that uh, encapsulates different values in people all right moral values it gives people social uh social archetypes basically all right, and uh, this was this is foundational to human behavior. So if you break apart the family unit and create uh, uh, some of these disparities within, well, then that kind of uh, fractures these archetypal um, archetypal thought processes in people, and they don't have that dynamic, that family dynamic, right? This is uh, the the foundational uh, group the family unit the foundational group of how societies were built and modeled okay this was the first society so to say even you know when you look back in ancient culture and even today the these are usually people's first interactions with other people is within family and this is where uh, lasting bonds and stuff are formed if you break that apart this has real psych- psychological ramifications on people and that's why they were so interested in delving into this whole psychiatric aspect of it, family, right? Let's read on. A skilled group leader, even in the so-called leaderless variety, can use the group to create a powerful, albeit artificial, family environment. Once this environment is induced, it is possible for the therapist, for example, to manipulate a member of the group, not by a direct attack, but by subtly manipulating, with suggestions perhaps, the other members of the group, If the victim has been sucked into thinking of the group as something warm and helpful or motherly, then, when the environment has been manipulated to turn against him, it will tend to have the impact of deep motherly rejection. Furthermore, if the victim is not completely aware of the therapist's chain of manipulations, he will tend to internalize their result, thinking that he himself is responsible for this new awareness about himself. As we shall demonstrate later, the essence of Recy and Cywar techniques on a mass scale is to rely upon the selective manipulation of key factors in the environment such that the individual tends to believe that the quote-unquote whole world is falling apart. And there is only himself to blame. Gonna pause there, folks. Let me read that again so you could understand. Look at the world today. Look at what's going on. Look at how we've been... Programmed to accept certain absurdities, right? In life, like uh, you know, something to the effect of back in. Let's use an example here. Back in the 1800s, okay, it's it's largely accepted that uh, many rich, wealthy white uh, plantation owners kept Afro-African slaves, right? Uh, So we're taught nowadays that uh, we we should be held accountable for that now things we didn't do right this, this is just the type of absurdity i'm talking about uh as an example of this idea right you should be uh, ashamed of yourself it's your fault see that this happened it, it, it's it's absurd on the face of it and there should be reparations for this do, do you see the absurdity of this right but these are the kinds of ideas that are in, indoctrinated into society, especially the very young people, the people in the school systems, okay? And Rockefeller plays a large part in the school systems, too. Reese's ideas play part in the school system. All of these things interrelate. But let me read that again, slowly for you, so that you could really take apart that statement and understand what I'm talking about here, how we've been indoctrinated to believe that it's all our fault. The world's falling apart, and it's all our fault. Look at the global warming thing, too. It's all your fault. See, you're you're greedy. You go out, you run your car everywhere, you pollute, you throw garbage in, you know, in in the trash can and don't think anything more of it. It's your fault. Do you do you understand? Let me read it again now so you get the idea. As we shall demonstrate later, the essence of Recy and Psywar techniques on a mass scale is to rely upon the selective manipulation of key factors in the environment such that individuals ...tends to believe that the whole world is falling apart... ...and there is only himself to blame. Did you catch all that? See? This is being done to us on purpose. You're being guilt-tripped into believing that it's all your fault. Because you're a piece of crap. That's how these people view you, right? This is, this is the elitist mentality. This is what these psychopaths believe and think. And this is how they want to manipulate you. And this is their intent... Okay? And it's based on a lot of the same belief systems and philosophies of this guy, John Rawlings Reese. Okay? Tavistock has unprecedented reach into many policy making groups in this world. All right? And these are the people, these are the same ideologies that have been specially, selectively uh, cultivated through the years. And these are the types of people that they. They put into positions of power in these groups to push forward these ideas. And they, they manipulate the masses with these ideas. So this, this is what we're talking about. Anyway, let's let's continue on from where we left off. It will suffice for now to note that Rees understood through his group work that manipulation based upon bourgeois conception of the outside world as magical... What Marcus identified as mother's fears was fundamental to mass control. going to pause there for a minute. So what does he think is fundamental to mass control? Fear. Okay. Magical fear. Fear of things that aren't really there. What he calls mother's fears. Okay. Uh, This is uh, fearing the worst case scenario all the time when there's no evidence of such a thing out there. Fear. Okay. This is fundamental to mass control. Remember that. That's what Reese said. It should be noted, collaterally, that Reese deeply cultivated his image as a warm, plump, smiling mother, as all of his devoted biographers portray him, especially in the mandatory group situations. Reese's incessant use of these techniques at all levels may explain the savage team spirit, not unlike that present in the CIA, of Reese's Tavistock collaborators, in any case, it is confirmed that Tavistock used these group techniques as the basis for their work against industrial workers. I'm gonna pause there. Once again, we're back to the idea of the destruction of the middle class. Okay, uh, and that's that's you know one of the main uh, focuses of uh, what's being said here in the article. All right. By 1938, Rees began to build his cabal in earnest, realizing that England was being put on a military footing and that the army and the other fighting services form rather unique experimental groups since they are complete communities and it is possible to arrange experiments in a way that would be difficult in civilian life. And I'm going to pause there again, folks. Do you hear another important facet of this? Rees suggested that uh, because... Military units, all right, are a unique type of experimental group that doesn't have, say, the same kind of uh, uh, rights or uh, obligations as the civilian class. Uh, that that this group would be fantastic for experimenting on. You could thank Tavistock for that, folks. If, if you're a military member or you have family that's in the military and they've used all kinds of experimental uh, vaccinations and all kinds of experimental uh, types of treatments and everything on you, subjected you to all kinds of different uh, things that you had no say over or no way to resist, you have Tavistock to thank for that. You have John Rawlings Reese to thank for that. That's who suggested this. Anyway, let's continue on, and we're going to wrap up here very soon. To seriously test its ideas in social control, Reese proposed Tavistock would simply have to take over the British Army. Reese's successful attempt at the takeover was so methodical that it is reproducible in a schematic form, and they actually have a chart here in the article that shows how he did it. (laughs) Okay, Uh, so that's kind of interesting in and of itself. Reese used his connections with certain foremost sound men of finance, whom he had studiously flattered with honorary treasureships at, at Tavistock, to obtain the position of consulting psychiatrist to the Army at home in 1938, itself a somewhat honorific posi- position with the Army Medical College carrying little power. It was no good being based in the Army Medical College, notes Reese. I had to be in the War Office itself, where I could have readier access to key people and to the Adjutant General's Department, which was concerned with manpower and other branches of central organization. How Reese gained entrance into the Adjutant Generalcy is illustrative of his scientific method, knowing from the Honorary Chairman of the Tavistock Council, Lord Alness then-Emergency Regional Commissioner for Scotland, that a certain Sir Ronald Adam was soon to be posted as Adjutant General, Reese had a close Tavistock associate, G.R. Hargreaves, bone up on medical history sufficient for bantering with the stodgy Adam. The impressed General Adam was then persuaded to take Hargreaves on as his command psychiatrist. Reese used his new leverage to have Adam create the Directorate of Army Psychiatry, which Reese ran through a transparent front man, Hugh Sandiford, an old army buddy of Reese. Gonna pause right there, folks. You see that? They use front men and front groups to do things, but it's always the same people pulling the strings, right? Behind the scenes. So. This way, they have a sort of plausible deniability about things, don't they? But we see how this has been set up. And this is the way they've done things for many, 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 many years now, right? It's always these same old tactics. Let's read on, and we're going to wrap it up here very soon. With one foot in the British general staff, Reese began recruiting the hand picked first squad of his cabal from around the Commonwealth. Reese demanded that the team meet regularly for informal sessions at which Reese and Bayonne were usually present. In characteristic Tavistock cover story style, a member of the quote unquote invisible college, as Reese dubbed the team, described the course of the sessions. I'm going to pause for a second before we, we say, we go through what uh, uh, this uh, person said he refers to it as the quote-unquote invisible college this is a direct allusion to the secret society groups okay the brotherhood the invisible college the order of the quest the freemasons the rosicrucians all of it all these secret society groups that tie all the way back to the ancient mystery schools It's all the same thing, the invisible college. Manly P. Hall referred in uh, certain publications to uh, some of these fraternal orders as the quote-unquote invisible college, right? Reese took on this term to describe some of these people that he put in positions of power here. And it all relates, folks. Make no doubt about that. But let's read on what this uh, member of the invisible college said. Quote, it was remarkable how, without my design, our interest seemed to shift from reporting on individual morbid conditions or cases to considering the larger problems of war and of human relations and nature of hostility, the state of civilization, which were to be very much reflected in the philosophy, first of the Army Psychiatric Service, and later on in our post-war planning and policies." So see, they roll these things out first within the confines of the military-industrial complex, and then they roll it out to the public. Just like they do everything else, folks. What have I been telling you? Anyway, let's read on, and we'll wrap it up here. As our schematic shows, Reese deployed members of the quote-unquote invisible college as command psychiatrists to the commanding officers of every major British army unit. Reese relates with undisguised glee how his men overcame the anxiety of commanders who suddenly found medical men assigned to their staffs and in charge of the morale of their men. "'I have no difficulties,' said a corps general in Burma, who the Reesians had overcome. "'If anything disturbing arises, I send my psychiatrist down there, and he puts it all right. He is one of the busiest men on my staff.'" The morale work of the college was largely a cover for the initial work in the areas to which they were assigned on the national ideologies that Reese had demanded as a preliminary for competent world selection. Throughout the war, Reese and his team pushed incessantly for selection techniques, and through his influence over General Adam and an increasing number of general officers, he was largely successful. By 1942, Rees had induced the British general staff and the War Office to begin an experimental War Office selection board to screen a small number of officer candidates. While the board was nominally run by regular army officers, both of whom, incidentally, began to go to invisible college meetings, Tavistockers held firm control, including Bayon, a tank officer in the First War, J.D. Sutherland, and young Rocky Trist. By late that year, the Experimental Board became the Research and Training Center as War Office selection boards proliferated throughout England and the rest of the Commonwealth. Almost all the boards included heavy Tavistock representation. By the end of the war, most British officer candidates and many enlisted men had their psychological profiles noted by Reese and psychiatrists in the boards. And I'm going to pause for a second here, folks. This was all going on during World War II. Reese really. Uh, stepped into a position where he took uh, a major role in the development of this intelligence logistics network within World War II. And uh, some of this was referred to as quote-unquote operations research. Do we remember back from uh, the episode we did on the Quiet War, reading from Silent Weapons from Quiet Wars, where many of the cybernetics ideologies came from? From what's called... Logistics, or what's called operations research during World War II. Uh, and and this was one of the methodologies used. And Reese had a, a major role in that as far as uh, the uh, logistics of controlling people groups, right? So this is one of the things referred to. And a, a lot of this is precursor ideas to what was later named the cybernetics approach to things. And cybernetics, for those who don't know, I'm not referring to, like, say, robotics and things like that, although that has certainly become a part of it. Cybernetics originally is defined as the science of whole systems control, okay? Uh, So think of it in those terms. Cybernetics is the science of whole systems control. It's all about controlling and manipulating whole systems, okay? That's what the cybernetics approach is, and many of these cybernetics ideas were born out of this research right here. And uh, you know these ideas put forth by Reese and others. But let's continue on. In Canada, Reese's selection techniques were made universal under the Canadian Army Director of Personnel, Brigadier Brock Chisholm, a close personal friend of Reese. Go figure, right? <laughs> Chisholm later to be the first Director General of the UN's World Health Organization. Let me repeat that, folks. This this good friend of Reese, Chisholm later became the first director general of the UN's World Health Organization, was also the first to implement Reese's idea that infantry squads should be grouped by intelligence. Chisholm's and Reese's work in Canada was successful enough for Reese to later hope that perhaps the Canadian reception centers stand out as the most interesting foretaste of what might be done in civilian life. Reese used every possibility to extend and deepen the hegemony of selection. As the war ground down after 1944, Reese began shifting personnel from the selection boards to another of his projects, the Civil Resettlement Scheme. With the resettlement scheme, Reese began testing what he hoped selection might lead to. All English prisoners of war returning from liberated POW camps in Europe were ordered to volunteer for a short stay in centers staffed exclusively by Tavistockers before being discharged. In addition to having their psychological profiles typed, these men underwent Bion's group therapy, where suggestions were made as to where each should live and what line of work each should take up. After care was provided to monitor if the suggestions were followed. Reese planned to have the scheme expanded to all returning Army personnel under the aegis of the Ministry of Labor. But with the end of the war and the new Labor Party government, his influence waned, a lesson that Reese would not forget. And that program was scrapped. But I'm going to pause there, folks. This was debriefing, okay? He debriefed people, and uh, he... This, this all has to do with... Uh, Things like post-traumatic stress disorder, see? He, he had people psychologically manipulated, in a sense, after the war because of this uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Anyway, let's continue on. We're almost to the end of uh, what we're going to do here tonight. Rees's British resettlement work, though mildly undemocratic, looks hardly ominous. The nature of Riesian selection and resettlement as a control function is more striking in Tavistock's work on the German ideology. Rees himself took up the German work in earnest in 1940 when he was invited to head the psychiatric examination of Rudolf Hess, Hitler's def- deputy fuhrer for the British Secret Intelligence Service, MI6. And I'm going to pause there, folks. You hear that? This guy worked for intelligence, MI6, British intelligence. And he was working with the Germans and studying the Germans, right? Let's read on. Not without irony, Reese notes that his patient's ideology stemmed from his university study of the very race science and geopolitical theories that had so shaped Reese himself. Gonna pause there. Did you hear that? He had the same teachings and ideologies as these Germans, as Hess. Okay. Hess, though definitely insane by this time, was dimly aware of his doctor's proclivities. The ghostwriter of Hitler's theory book, Mein Kampf, Hess pleaded that Brigadier Rees was the only psychiatrist who understood him. The Special Operations Executive, the section of British intelligence in charge of clandestine operations, was sufficiently impressed with Rees' work that there began after 1940 a close working relationship between the Tavistock crew and the Special Operations Executive H.V. Dix, Reese's aide-de-camp at Tavistock and assistant on the Hess case was seconded to the Directorate of Military Intelligence on a semi-permanent basis. Gonna pause there. So you see, Reese had this guy set up in military intelligence. Do you, do you see how this, th- these tentacles kind of go out and, and get placed in various places of power? Anyway, let's let's read on. It was through Dix that Riesian methods of selection and of psychological warfare became hegemonic in the American Office of Strategic Services and eventually in all allied psychological warfare and intelligence planning bodies. And I'm going to pause there, folks. And I think we're actually going to stop right there. Do you know what the Office of Strategic Services was? This was the precursor of the CIA. So... Uh, This being the case, this is how Reese got these ideas and his tentacles put in place within the American intelligence community. And this is why Rockefeller uh, is all so ingratiated within the intelligence community and the CIA as well. You see all all these different uh, facets of, of this grand conspiracy coming together. This is what Reese attempted to do. He wanted to get people in these positions of power here. Uh, let's, let, we'll continue on just a little bit more before we call it quits here because there's a couple more important ideas. Let's read on. What is of importance is that Reese used military intelligence to further his selection techniques through the SOE, as it were, the Special Operations Executive, Rees had units, called British Collecting Centers, attached to German POW camps in Britain and Canada. Using the original work done on Hess, Dix, who commanded the centers, developed a set of psychiatric criteria to screen incoming prisoners. While the centers did perform their nominal function of gathering data to be later used in propaganda against German troops, Dix's actual purpose was to test the control aspect of the selection criteria. Dix used his system to select out weak ego types who were then subjected to Bayon-style group indoctrination. The best were parachuted back into Germany as agents of this (laughs) group here. The rest were used as informers and operators to maintain control of the rest of the POWs for the British. So you see how he used these German um, groups, these, these different German troops... Uh, POWs, how they uh, did a psychiatric evaluation of them, determined who had a, we'll quote-unquote, weak ego that they could manipulate, and they used them as double agents and sent them back. <laughs> see see what's been done? How intelligence communities uh, have operated in many ways here? Let's read on. The collecting centers were themselves only a test phase for the work military intelligence would later perform at the Selection Center in Bod. Oyenhausen, in the British zone of occupied Germany. Advised by Dix and commanded by Colonel Dick Rendell, a longtime member of the Invisible College at Tavistock, the Selection Center used denazification as the cover to pick non-Nazi future leaders and administrators among Germans. I'm going to repeat that. The Selection Center used denazification as the cover to Pick non-Nazi future leaders and administrators among Germans. Very important ideas here, folks. We must assume that by 1947, British intelligence and its American counterpart had Reesian psychological profiles of most, if not all, potential political and trade union leaders of the post-war generation of Germans. What shaping went on at the center and who the informants were is not yet known, but a major labor committee research project has been launched in this area, which, when the details are clear, should make for an interesting rewrite of German post-war history. And we're going to stop right there, folks. German post-war history, what do we know about that? Well, wasn't there Operation Paperclip? where the Americans and the Russians both imported some of these Nazi scientists, right? And put them in positions of power and authority, and gave them lots of backing and money to do certain things. And uh, what did we just see here? Hmm? So we, we could see here that... Uh, <laughs> They were all profiled and they were uh, put into positions where they could become future leaders and administrators of different things. And these people were all handpicked and manipulated by Tavistock and these other groups that worked along with them and put into positions of authority. This is how these people operate, okay? Okay. And we're going to call it quits right there for tonight. And I, I think maybe I'll read through the rest of this and see what other pertinent details are there. And we might do a part two. Uh, but the, uh, the general premise here is uh, this is how Tavistock has come about and how it does things and how it's become a major player in the social engineering of the world and how it puts people in positions of power. So there's a little history lesson for all you folks there. Uh, Tavistock. If you haven't looked into Tavistock... Look into it. If you haven't heard of John Rawlings Reese, look him up. These are foundational things for what's been going on in society now. And we can see how this quiet war has been engineered in this way, right? And how we are still in the confines of it. And it's, it's a different kind of war, right? It's not traditional warfare like you would think of, like World War II was. It's actually something much different. It's a type of psychological operation of sorts. It's how they term it a quiet war, essentially, isn't it? It's a war against the public by the elite class of this world. And it's it's done in a way that is not perceived by the vast majority of the population. Anyway, folks, thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you next time. I hope you have an excellent night.
1: Come with me.